Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey guys, welcome to Redemption. My name is Byron. Uh, if it's your first time with us, I'm so happy that you came out to gather uh, with us today. We're in the book of Habakkuk as we continue our series, Live by Faith. So if you got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. It might take you a minute because um, it's a little Bible, it's a little book just kind of buried somewhere in the Old Testament. Only six people have ever read it before. Um, so you can uh, ask your neighbor, uh, consult your index, but also we're going to have it up on the screen for us. And so as you're digging around, let me give you just a couple of updates for kind of where we're at as a church. Um, Next month, in the month of August, we're going to be starting a new sermon series called Best Sermon Ever. And uh, I'm just super excited about this series. What I've done is I've went and invited four of some of my closest friends, some of the elders for us as a church, and the people that um, mentor me and speak life into um, our church, providing leadership. I've went and I've asked them um, to come and to preach the best sermon that they have ever preached before. And so they're going uh, through years worth of their sermon catalogs, ones that were the the best for them, the ones that meant the most to them, the funnest sermons, and they're going to be able to come and serve our church by giving us some good Bible teaching in the month of August. And my hope for this series is that, um, that, that it becomes a annual tradition for us um, as a church that every summer as we get ready to head into um, back to school, ki- uh, kids are going back to school, um, college students getting ready you know, to make that next step. And so everybody's kind of getting their priorities in line. Then um, this month, we're going to dedicate to just getting some good Bible teaching here so we can all grow together as a church. So I am super excited about best sermon ever. You're going to want to be here. Grab a friend, bring them. It's going to be amazing. And so I'm super stoked for that. Another thing is, is that um, our missional communities are going to be getting ready to launch new MCs come in September. And so who's involved in a missional community currently? You got some people in church. Let me hear you. Oh my gosh. There we go. Okay. There we go. Awesome. They didn't have enough coffee this morning, I guess. Um, So our missional communities are the backbone and the heart for where we're at as a church, who we are. So, you know, church is more than Sunday. Did you know that following Jesus is more than just a Sunday ritual? Like it's our everyday life and our missional communities is how we live in the rhythm of discipleship in our everyday lives. So we eat together, we study the Bible together, and then we serve the city together. And so currently we have two missional communities. And in September, our plan, our goal is five. We're going to be launching new missional communities. As new people come into the church, we want to get them connected into new ways with the church. So we're going to be launching new missional communities in September. So um, our hope is we're going to have one in Orange. And so if you're driving from Orange, we'll have one for you midweek so you can hang out, eat some dinner, read the Bible together, and be able to serve that way. So um, my hope is in Orange, um, maybe in Mid-County. And so if you live in Mid-County, that's for you. And um, we're going to have three in, maybe four here in Beaumont. And so um, we want you to be involved in that. So if you're here and you're like, I want to join, I want to be in one, um, on your Connect card, there's a, there's, a, there's a box. And so just check Missional Communities, and um, I'll give you more information this week about how how you can get involved in that missional community. So be praying about where God wants you to serve in your church. So with that being said, by now, you might've found the book of Habakkuk. So um, let's pray and then we'll get to work. Heavenly Father, we come to you today to praise you for your goodness. Lord, we look around and we may not understand everything, um, but we hold on to these realities that you are good and that you are in control. Father, we come to you with our, um, our prayers 
We come to you with our prayers. We come to you with our heart. We come to you with ourselves, and we trust in you. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to suffer in our place, so that way our suffering is not alone. God, that you took um, our sin upon yourself, and that you gave us your righteousness, not by our works, but by yours. And then, God, you gave us the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that um, helped Habakkuk as he wrote this book to be the same spirit that illuminates it for us as we read it. God, I pray that people would be comforted after a long and hard week, that they would be empowered to continue to live for your mission um, in their homes, in their jobs, um, and in the city. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Habakkuk, I have some lights issues. Um, so Habakkuk, right? This is where we're at. The story of Habakkuk is, um, if you've been reading throughout the week, and now I hope that you've been reading this book um, as you're going home, what you might have noticed is that Habakkuk is kind of like a guy just sitting on his porch screaming at God. Like he's just this guy on his porch just screaming at God. God, what are you doing? God, God why is this happening? God, I don't understand. Has any of you guys ever been in that place? You're sitting there, you're like, God, what in the world is happening? Maybe it's you in your car, right? You're sitting in your car, you're like driving down the road, just yelling at God, no radio, no music, no distractions, just you in the car, and you're just yelling at God, letting him have it. The person pulls up next to you, just wondering if everything's okay. Has that been you? And so that's Habakkuk. He's looking around, he's surveying the land, and it just doesn't make sense. And oftentimes in our lives, we find ourselves in that same place. And so what we're looking at as we're um, diving into this book of Habakkuk is we're taking a lesson from Habakkuk's life and how Habakkuk responds to God. In these, this little book, there is huge implications. This little book um, has a, a big uh, questions and impact on how we are to live our lives. And so today we're going to be looking at Habakkuk and learning from this lesson on how we are to wait on the Lord. Habakkuk is waiting on God. He's gone to God, asked some tough questions, and now he is just going to learn to wait on the Lord. And, uh, and so, so I don't know if you know this. Um, I, I, if I haven't made a big announcement, but if, you, if you're not sure, I'm going to let you know. Um, my wife is 20 weeks pregnant. And so, um, thank you. I helped. <laughs> so um, we've been married for eight years and so we, for eight years, we've been praying and praying for a baby. Our biggest dream was for us to be able to start a family. And so we've been waiting for eight years to be able to start a family. And so um, I grew up in a Christian school, so they didn't teach me sex ed or biology. Eight years, finally figured it out. But we, <laughs> so we waited eight years, and now we have to wait nine months just to be able to meet our baby. Waiting is terrible. Wait, it feels like eternity just to, for us to be able to see uh, the answer to eight years worth of prayers. And so in the meantime, what we have to do is, uh, she's about 20 weeks, so that means that, that we have to go to the doctor's office. So we've been spending multiple days in doctor's office every month. And now me, um, I hate going to the doctor. I don't go to the doctor. I haven't been to the doctor since I was 21. Like no weird reason for why I don't go. I just, I just don't do it. So for me, like there's a natural remedy and hard work and hot baths. So if I was raised by my grandparents. So if I get sick, you know, just post up in the bed for a few days and then just get over it. So that's, that's, my, that's how I deal with, uh, with pain. Um, so, but we've been spending time at the doctor's office and so if you're in the medical profession, then maybe you can explain this to me because I, I don't understand. So this one doctor's office, um, we were there, uh, they had two waiting rooms. And so they had two waiting rooms. We go in and we're sitting down, we check in, we sit down in the room. And then after a while, they call our name. They're like, Ellis? I'm like, okay, good, let's do this. That didn't take very long. 
And then they move us into another waiting room. And so we're in this second room and we're waiting. And we waited for about three hours. And so during those three hours, they finally called our name and we go back and we go to the actual room. And what do we do in that room? We wait. So they make us wait. I don't know why they do it. Why they do it. Why they, why they make you wait so long. You know, I don't know if it's like, hey, we have to be here all day, so we're going to make you be miserable too. Like, we have to stand on our feet. You guys sit in this uncomfortable chair. Um, waiting is the worst. Waiting is terrible. Waiting is frustrated. Waiting is the worst. And all of us, we hate waiting, right? So when you're driving down the road and you start to see traffic back up, what do you do? Your head is on a swivel, right? Why? Because you hate waiting. I-10. I swear, I-10 is a mark of the fall. It's been under construction since Eve ate the apple. I, I tell you that. <laughs> you're driving I-10. You see it happen. You see it back up. What are you doing? You're looking for a lane, right? And so you're driving, maybe you're heading into mid-county and you're hitting Cardinal Drive. What do you do? You risk your life just to be able to save five minutes on your commute. So you, you, hop the, you hop the curb, you're hitting the feeder. Why? For God forbid that you have to wait in traffic. We hate it. You go to Target. You're walking down every lane. You're looking who has the least amount of junk, right? Who has the least amount of junk? This person has 10 items, 15 items. And then you get in the lane and then the person pulls out cash. You're like, who the heck carries cash, right? Poor Alex from Target doesn't even know how to count, let alone trade transactions for goods. Like, you don't, okay? And then what's the question? What's the question? Every, every time, would you like to save 5% with your Target red card? No, I don't. Just get me out of here. I want to blow my money like every other American. I got places I got to be. Why? Because we hate waiting. And one of the hardest things that God asks us to do is wait. It's wait. And especially as 21st century people, because we hate waiting. We can't get the instant information right now. We hate it. There's frustration in that. And one of the most difficult things that God asks us to do is wait. And so this is where we find Habakkuk. He has brought some big questions to God. He has spoken to God. He has gone to him in his prayers. And now God says, wait. And in Habakkuk's waiting, we're holding on to two things, that God is good and that God is in control. That we have to hold on to these realities, that God is good and that God is in control. So what does it mean for us to wait on the Lord? Now, undoubtedly, if you've been in church um, for more than three weeks, you've probably heard this saying, you need to wait on the Lord. And if you haven't heard that yet, this is it today. You need to wait on the Lord. And you think, oh, that's so wise. Yes, I need to wait on the Lord. But what does that mean? All right, what does that mean? So here's how we're going to define waiting on the Lord for us today. Waiting is watching expectantly without giving in to bitterness. So waiting is watching expectantly without giving in to bitterness. And so maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I understand watching expectantly. I understand being eager, right? I understand looking forward to that, but I don't understand the bitterness part. So this bitterness part is important. And so let me kind of set it up for you, is that God does what God does. That's just kind of one of the definitions of being God is that you do what you do because God is right. God is good. Everything he does is perfect. His timing is perfect. His will is perfect. Ours, eh, let's be honest, not so much. That God's will and God's timing is perfect. Ours, just a little bit skewed. And so when it comes to trusting in God's timing, we have to do it without giving in to bitterness. And so if you say, well, well, I don't understand the bitterness part. If you don't understand it, then you've never actually had to wait on the Lord. 
never actually had to wait on the Lord. Over and over again throughout scriptures, we see this narrative of people waiting on God and then giving into bitterness, taking matters into their own hands and pushing God's timetable. I mean, all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis, that Abraham, that he was promised by God to be the father of a nation, waited a hundred years before he saw that promise come true. In that time, he took God's promises in his own hands, pushed God's timetable, took his servant, had a son with him. Moses leading the people out of Egypt. And while they're in, the, in Egypt, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. The people begin to grumble and complain. We want to go back to Egypt because we want to go back to how things were. And then Moses gets frustrated, goes bitter, strikes a rock, not allowed to enter into the promised land. Over and over again throughout scriptures, people who have heard God's promises and then they pushed God's timetable and they grew bitter towards the Lord. Peter in the New Testament wanted to see the coming of the kingdom of God. He didn't like God's plan for Jesus to die and to do it that way. He didn't understand didn't grasp God's plan, grabbed a sword. So when it comes to waiting, we have to trust in God's time and not push it and then learn to rest in that without giving in to bitterness. And so this is where Habakkuk is at, is learning to trust in God. And so when it comes to waiting, the first way that we are to wait on the Lord, we need to learn to wait correctly. And the first way we are to wait is that we are to wait relationally. This is what Habakkuk says in 2.1. He says, I will take my stand at the watch post and I will station myself on the tower and look out and see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. The first way we're to wait is for us to wait relationally. Here we have Habakkuk. And so at this point, Habakkuk has asked God some pretty tough questions. And so what it's easy for us to do is to lose this aspect when it comes to the scriptures is that God actually responds Sure, it's easy for us to think God responds to Habakkuk, but does God respond to us? God listens and then God responds. And so the reason being God loves to respond to us is because we have a relational God, that our God is a relational God and invites us into relationship with him. He's not like other gods that say, you have to make your way to me. God has made his way to us. In Jesus, we have a relationship with God. And so Habakkuk, in this relationship, he waits. And so what's interesting to note here about Habakkuk is in the Old Testament, um, prophets were called watchmen. So they were the spiritual overseers of the nation. So Habakkuk was a spiritual watchman. But this is interesting to note that some scholars would even agree that Habakkuk actually had a job. That, that watching the post, standing on the watchtower, being a watchman, that was Habakkuk's day job that he had a career, he, he had a job. And so what he's doing here is he's saying, I'm fixing to go to work and I'm expecting God to show up. I, I have, so Habakkuk has a job, but he doesn't allow his schedule to keep him from a relationship with God. And so that he, just like you and I, like gets up and goes to work. Yeah, sure, times change, people's change, opinions change, but there's some things that never change. We still have to get up and go to work. What's interesting about Habakkuk is he doesn't allow his everyday life to separate him from God. Why? Because he has a relationship with God. He makes time for God. Across his schedule, he still gets alone with God. And so he makes time for the Lord because he has a relationship with him. And so oftentimes in our own lives, we don't really wait on the Lord. We don't really wait on the Lord by rearranging our lives because we, what we do instead is we fill our lives with distractions. We fill our lives with distractions that keep us separated from him. So that you say, well, I'm frustrated, but not to the point to actually do anything. 
I'm questioning, but I'm easily distracted. I'm allowing all of these things to enter into my life and keep me distracted, to keep me busy, because we fill our lives with things that will separate us from God in our relationship. Habakkuk here, what he's doing, he's working and he is waiting. And in this, he is living by faith. And in addition to this, the second way that we are to wait is to, we are to wait on God actively. Here, Habakkuk is in his tower. He is doing his job. And so for us, this is where we tend to get messed up. It's because um, in our culture, we like to think of waiting as inactivity. But the truth is, is that waiting is work. Waiting is work. So we think of it as being inactive, but here we see that Habakkuk is working. He's not just up in the tower, but he's actually doing his job. Habakkuk is working. And so last week in chapter one, when we looked at this, we see that God had given Habakkuk a burden, that the, the message that God had given him had become a burden for him to be able to go and to, to share God's word to a culture and within his community so that he could see change in the nation. So God had given him a burden. And this is the same thing that Jesus does for you when he calls you into his kingdom, that he gives you a commission, the great commission to go and make disciples of all the land. So this is a burden. This is a mission for him. So when Ashley and I, when we moved back to Beaumont, um, we didn't initially plan to start redemption. I don't know if you guys know that. Redemption here, we're hit coming up to six months old. Um, we launched in February. And so um, originally, we didn't intend to start a new church. Uh, so over the past five years, we've been planting churches all across America. We planted one in Houston. We planted one in New York. And so as we came back home, our original tension, intention was not to start a new church. We were just going to pray, hang out with family, reconnect with some old friends, and then see where God was going to call us to go after that. You know, we had some prospects, maybe Oklahoma City, maybe heading back to Houston. Who knows? We're praying maybe Seattle. Like we, we were open, open to anything. We're open to anything and everywhere, but... Beaumont. And so as we're praying, um, I'm just getting a job, connecting into uh, my family. I got a job, waiting tables, meeting some of my coworkers. And over time, um, just listening to some of the stories, um, I began to see that the people that I grew up with, people that I grew up with, even family members that were raised in church, slowly but surely over time, they begin to walk away from their faith. They begin to be disconnected from the church, disengaged from faith, and they just completely just walked away from the church. They got burned out. They got hurt. They just gave up. And when I saw this, it broke my heart. It broke my heart. And then I began to look across the city. And, and you know, if you were to ask 17-year-old me, what is the biggest dream that you have in, if you could do anything in the world, what would it be? 17-year-old me, leave. That's what I want to do. So if you go to Luke's, you go to, uh, you go ask someone at the mall or the grocery store and you say, hey, you know, what do you, what would you like to do? Everyone wants to leave. People feel stuck in this city. And so I began to recognize that and, and it broke my heart because as long as that's the, the mindset of the city, then nothing's ever going to change. Because if, as long as people are just feeling stuck, then nothing's ever going to change. And see, God in that moment began to give us a burden. And then in that moment, it began to break my heart. And so there's this quote that says, where your heart breaks, that's where your mission is. And then I began to realize that God has brought us all around the country just to bring us back home to see change in the city that God has brought all of us into this place so we could see change in the city. God began to give us a vision, 
a vision to see a church that is active in the community. God began to give us a mission that we were active in sharing the faith, that God began to give us a burden to see lives changed, to see a city renewed culturally, socially, and spiritually. And so we have this burden to take this message to the city, to share the love and the grace and the hope and the mercy of redemption. And so when me and Bo, when we're hanging out, when we're sitting on Bo's porch uh, and we're talking, and we're talking about some of our old friends, we're talking about our old friends, we're talking maybe about the band scene, maybe about the music scene, maybe about the bar scene, and we're talking about everyone there, and we're like, well, how do we reach them? Like, what do we do? And I, I'm just racking my brain trying to figure out how do we reach as many people as possible? How do we reach them? What do we do? Do we start, do we start a 12 o'clock gathering for people who can't you know, wake up by 11? What do we do? Do we start at 12? Maybe we start at six. If we start a six o'clock gathering, then you know, they're gonna be at Crocker Street in the evening already, so might as well come an hour early. I mean, our music's, our music's really good. Um, our wine's actually grape juice, but you know, what the heck? Um, like, what do we do? How do we reach those people? If Luke's gave me a microphone, I'd be there doing open mic on Tuesday nights. Like, I will do anything possible so somebody can come and meet Jesus. I will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, short of sin, that somebody would meet Jesus. We do it for the one every single week, that one person would come in this room and they would meet Jesus. And so this is why we pray. We pray and we pray. And then God said, plant the church. We prayed for six months before we planted the church. So we're praying, we're praying, we're inviting people to join the team. We start work on planting the church. We're praying, we're inviting people in. We're inviting people into our homes. We're sharing meals. We're hanging out with the team. We're praying and we're praying that God would do something in the city. We're expecting God to move. And then we launch the church. And then people join and we're praying, we're praying, we're grabbing them. We say, hey, invite your friends. Hey, hey, bring somebody over for dinner. Hey, connect into the community, serve. We're inviting, we're praying, we're praying, but we're not inactive we're praying, but we have a job to do. We're praying. We're not just waiting. We're not just praying. We're saying, well, God, I've prayed my prayer. It's up for you to do the rest. No, we, we pray actively. We wait actively. See, I got tired of playing church. I got tired of playing church, going in and saying, well, I sang my four songs. You know, I, I did my part. Listen to the guy talk for 45 minutes. And now I just get to go do my own thing. I got tired of playing church for people to come and pray for revival and to see God change and then get in fights with their spouse before they even leave the parking lot. I got tired of seeing churches over and over again, just playing religion and just talking big talk and then praying for revival and ignoring their neighbors. I got tired of seeing us just pray and wait and not do anything. When we come to the scriptures and we recognize that God has given us a mission and that we wait actively because waiting is work. Yeah, God's going to do his part, but he has called us to do ours. And so Habakkuk has this message and he knows that God has called him to go and to share the good news into his nation, into his community. And in that time, as he's getting alone with God, what is he doing? He's praying, but he's also getting to work. God has called us to get to work, that we are to wait actively. The third way we are to wait is that we are to wait thoughtfully. So the first thing that God says to Habakkuk here is he says to write this down. Let's check it out in verse two. He says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. The first thing God says is to write this down. Now within Christianity, there is what is known as spiritual disciplines. These are things that God um, uses to grow us in our faith. They're catalysts for our spiritual growth. Some of them being um, prayer, one of them being um, meditation, some being fasting, and one of them being journaling. 
And so, um, so journaling is a spiritual formation. It's a spiritual discipline that God uses. All of these are designed to grow us in the Lord. And so God speaks to Habakkuk and he says, write this down. And so me personally, this is a spiritual discipline that I'm not good at at all. Um, so I'm not, I never have been good at this discipline. Um, but my wife, however, my wife is amazing at this. And so every time we're praying um, and God answers a prayer, when she, she comes back and she pulls out a journal. She has stacks of journals. And she pulls out a journal. She says, hey, look, God answered this prayer. And she shows me a date. could be five years ago. But she has an inventory of the prayer she prays. And so she shows me. And I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. God did, man. And every time she shows me one, I'm just like, man, why don't I journal? Why don't I do this? And then Monday comes around. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember because I get busy. I get busy in my life. And then slowly I just kind of forget it because I don't make time to practice these disciplines. And so I get busy. Does anybody journal? Does anybody journal? I mean, do you just get alone with God? Just you, an old moleskin, you know, dust off your Bible, sit down with your thoughts. I mean, I'm not talking dear diary today. I saw a butterfly. <laughs> I mean, like you journal, just you and God and your thoughts, writing them down, taking an inventory of what God is showing you, what your prayers are. See, I think oftentimes God answers more prayers than we think, but because we don't actually keep an inventory of what we are actually praying for, it goes oftentimes unnoticed. And so Habakkuk, God's speaking to him and he says, write this down, make it plain. I want you to remember this. I want you to wait thoughtfully on me. And what's interesting to note is American Christians, studies show that only 20% of us actually read our Bibles regularly. And out of that 20%, 2% study. And so what this means as Christians is we are a mile wide, but we're only an inch deep. So because we can Google any answer, we can form our own opinions, we can listen to our favorite celebrity pastors, um, we don't actually have to read the Bible anymore because now we have people who is gonna do it for us. And so what we can do is we can read books and we can read blogs, and sure, those are all good, but they're only to be supplemental to the Bible itself. And so today we were like, oh, do I have to read this? You mean I really have to study this for myself? I have to read this and learn to apply it in my life? Man, that's gonna take forever. I'm gonna have to what? I'm gonna have to wait. I'm gonna have to wait. See, we want all the information, but we don't see the transformation. And we can get it all in our heads, but it's not sinking into our hearts because we need to hide this word in our hearts. And so if we're not actually reading this, we're not gonna see the change in our lives, in our families, and in our communities. We are to wait actively. Because you know this, when you come to the scriptures, when you come to the Bible, every time you open up the Bible, you are in the exact same place that Habakkuk was. God says, write this down. And so what God was showing Habakkuk, God is also speaking to you. And sure, God answers our prayers. God responds to us. But did you know that when you read your Bible, God is speaking to you? that this is his word. He has revealed himself to you. We don't have to guess or speculate about who he is, what his character is, what his nature is. He has told us plainly. So every time we open up the Bible, we are in the same place that Habakkuk was, that God has come to speak to you. That we can read this word as God's word and that it would bring transformation into our lives. But the number one reason that people don't read their Bibles, the reason that they say, why they don't spend time in prayer and read their Bibles is because they say that they're too busy. That's what we say. The reason why I don't journal, because I'm too busy. The reason why I don't get alone with God is oftentimes I allow my job or my distractions to keep me separated from them. They say we're too busy. Yet we'll notice that 
the average American spends 15 hours of, uh, on their media per day, whether at work, whether on I, uh, their iPod, the iPhone. So we say we're too busy, but we have time for 15 hours worth of media, Facebook, text, tele- television, Netflix. See, the truth is, it's not that we're too busy. Truth is, is we don't make time. Truth is, is, we haven't learned to steward our time. Everybody gets 24 hours a day. Everybody gets 24 hours. The truth is that we haven't learned how we are to steward our time. I want you to ask yourself this question this week. How am I living my life? How am I spending my time? Am I expecting God to show up? Am I making time for him? Am I getting alone with him? And that leads us to the fourth way that we are to wait. And we are to wait expectantly. Habakkuk makes time for God. He expects God to show up. We wait expectantly because um, this is where Habakkuk is at. Habakkuk is a guy who is living in a time of violence and in a time of oppression and greed. And so in this, you may notice that there are some similarities between uh, 600 BC and maybe where we're at today in 2016. And so here's Habakkuk as a guy just sitting on his porch, kind of screaming and yelling at God. He's saying, God, why don't you do anything? God, what are you doing? I'm expecting you to show up. And here's the thing, God does show up. The problem is that when God shows up, Habakkuk at first doesn't necessarily like God's answer. And God replies here in verse four. He says, um, oh, in verse three, rather. He says, for the time still awaits. The vision still awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And so when God shows up, at first, Habakkuk doesn't like God's prayer, God's answer. This is what it means for us to wait without giving in to bitterness. You know, do you think I enjoyed waiting eight years, suffering miscarriages before I could ever see my child? No, hated that. And in that, there's this temptation for us to grow bitter for us to grow bitter. And what is it that you're praying for? What is it that you're expecting to see in our planting the church and having to go all around the country just to come back, just to be able to come back home? And then God to say, Byron, you're gonna plant a church in your hometown. Do you think, like, I was stoked about that initial response? No, no, because my plans weren't his plans. And so because I wasn't waiting expectantly, being able to trust in whatever he would say, because then I began, had the temptation to grow bitter. And this is what it means, why it's so important for us to to not give in to the temptation to go bitter. Because I can tell you that after eight years of spending time with my wife in prayer, our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. And waiting might've been the hardest thing, but it was the most amazing thing. It's because I can look back and see answered prayers that God has never failed us that God has always delivered on his promises. And I can expect in the future because I have something to look back on to know that he is faithful. And as I come to plant this church and we're, we're working this church, now I can say this, in this church, planting this church has been the best thing that I've ever done with my life, except for meeting Jesus and marrying Ashley. That you guys are the best thing, that my heart is so full and my life is so fulfilled because of you and because of what Jesus is doing in this church. That my, my ways, not as good as God's ways. My will, eh, skewed, not as good as God's will. That in my expectations are so far below God's expectations. That God has something so much more for us if we would just learn to trust in him. That if we would learn what it means for us to live by faith. And so initially, God, um, Habakkuk doesn't like God's plan. 
And so this is what God responds to Habakkuk as he says this in verse four, which is the main theme of this verse, um, of this book. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We spent all of week one discussing this verse, which is the main theme of this verse, which is for us to learn to live by faith. Essentially what God is saying is there are two types of people, those who trust in themselves and their works, and then there's those who trust in me. You have two types of people, those who trust in themselves and their works to earn their own salvation, and then you have those who trust in me. And so um, this small book has had tremendous weight on throughout all the centuries of Christianity. And so God speaks to Habakkuk. He responds to him and he says, trust me. Years later, the apostle Paul reads this verse and is cut to the heart. And as he reads this verse, he then applies it to salvation. And so Paul is a guy who's lived his whole life trying to earn God's favor by, fi- by following religion and rules and regulations to earn God's favor and salvation. Then Paul meets Jesus and then he goes from there with this message and plants churches all across the ancient world. And so we fast forward 1,500 years, a rebel monk named Martin Luther Martin Luther reads this verse and he goes from there and starts what is known as the Protestant Reformation, which is the reason why redemption is here today. So two men that that this verse lit a wick under that exploded the gospel all across the world, all because of this small little verse and that it was applied to salvation, that we have a gospel of redemption, of grace, of mercy and salvation. But originally in the original context, this text was not actually applied to salvation, but rather for judgment. That God is pronouncing his judgment on a nation that has lived in violence and oppression and greed. Go home and read the rest of this chapter. God calls everything out. He's saying, I see it. You're crying out to me about violence and oppression. You hate that. I hate that. I see it all. I'm God. I see it all. And one day I'm going to judge that. And so then God continues to call out all of the sins of the nation of Babylon. He says, he says pride, I see that. Drunkenness. I got that. Taking advantage of women, I see that. Government corruption, greed, profiting off of the poor and the marginalized, I see that, I hate that. God says, sin, all sin, I see that, I hate that, I'm going to judge that, and you can expect that. See, don't think that God is idle against sin. And just because you don't see it now doesn't mean you won't see it later. God sees everything. And so all of us, were crying out for justice. God is crying out for justice as well. And so don't think that God is idle against sin, that he is going to judge one day and we can expect that. But here's the deal, is that if you live like Judah or Israel, then you will receive your judgment. If you live like Babylon in pride and idolatry, then you will receive your judgment. But you don't have to live like Judah or Babylon because you can live like Habakkuk and you can live by faith. See, we can have salvation. We can live under salvation, because Jesus left his throne and entered into our lives. That Jesus stood at the edge of heaven as there was oppression and wickedness and violence and injustice and says, I can't stand there and let it continue to happen. I have to do something about it. So Jesus left his throne to make a way for us. So that judgment on judgment day, when the wrath of God is poured out on you as a Christian, the cup is empty. The cup is empty. That God's wrath would be poured out on his son 
in your place. You don't have to live under judgment because we get to live under salvation. That Jesus has made a way when there was none. Jesus has made a way when we have made a mess. So when you're crying out for justice, really, you should be crying out for Jesus. And so as we, as we worship, as we pray, this is what we're doing that Jesus is stirring us up, that the Holy Spirit is calling us into the kingdom, that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sins in times of temptation and empowering us for times of mission. All because of Jesus, that Jesus would save you from your sin, that Jesus would change you into a son and a daughter, and that God would give you the spirit to comfort you in times of need, to continue the work of the mission of God, both home and abroad. Check out verse 14. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want you to know something. I want you to understand something. That when you give your life to Jesus, as a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, your story, your story, what has happened to you, what has been done to you, maybe what others have done, your sin, your shame, your separation, that God will use that. If you trust him with it, God will use that to bring about his glory. That God would use that to bring about your greatest joy. If you trust him with your sin, if you trust him with your shame, if you trust him, that God would use that to further his word around the world. That if you trust him in those moments, that he will use that because here it says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That is a promise that God makes, and you can expect that. If you learn to trust him, that is a promise that God makes. And so in that time, we live expectantly. And so in conclusion, as we call the band forward, I want to give you an illustration that I think sums this up for us well. You may not know everything. You may not understand why things happen the way they do. One day you will. Not in this life, you won't understand everything, but one day you will. And so life for us on this side of heaven is more like a mosaic. It's a bunch of broken pieces of shattered glass that God puts back together in our lives. And so if we can just catch God's perspective over what's happening in your life and in the world, then you will see that life is like a mosaic and God takes broken pieces and puts them back together more beautiful. And so why what is happening in the world? We might only catch a glimpse. Why what is happening in our life? We might just catch a glimpse. But if we are able to take God's perspective and to see what God is actively working at in the world, we will recognize that God takes the broken and God makes it beautiful. And that God's plan is that all people would come to know him and his son that God's plan is that all people would come to know him and that God invites us all into relationship with him for us to wait at his feet relationally. And this is how God closes out the book. The last words that God says here is in verse 20. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silent before him. God brings it all back to relationship. God says, here I am, come to me. Here I am, come to me. Come and sit at my feet. Come and rest with me. I know that you're tired. I know that you're tired. I know that you're weary. Come to me and sit at my feet. 
God says, God says, I have heard you in your car screaming and yelling at me. I have heard you on your porch yelling and crying out. I am not inactive. I hear the prayers. I hear your cries. Come to me and sit at my feet. Come to me and trust in me. Come and give me your brokenness. Come and give me your shame. Come and give me your sin. I will put you back together by my son, by my grace, by my power, by my redemption. God is calling all of us back into this relationship with him. And he says, I know that you're tired because you've been trying to earn your own salvation. I know you're exhausted because you're trying to fix all of the problems. You're trying to bring about your own justice. I know that you are tired because you are trying to live every way apart from me. This is the reason why the brokenness exists. Come to me and I will make you whole. God is calling us all back into relationship with him. And that if you can come and stand before him and you wait, God has spoken and now we respond by waiting. And so my challenge for us as a church is this, is this week, I want you to get alone with God and I want you to wait, to get alone and to be silent with God. Make time. You say, I know the kids are running around, kids are crazy, all the more reason you need to make time. And also as parents, if your kids see you make time for God, they'll learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. So you're not just getting along with God, but you're also setting an example before your kiddos. You get, maybe you have college term papers due, all the more reason that you need to get along with God. Maybe you're working, you're pulling a double, all the more reason you need to get along with God. Make time for him. If you don't make time for him, then your calendar is gonna tell you how to live your life instead of living by faith. Make time, steward your time. Make time. And you say, I know, I know you're busy, but I'd say you're too busy not to to get alone with God and to be silent with him and to listen as God speaks and God responds. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gate. If you'd like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.